All right. Let us pray for our catechumens. Then will I sprinkle clean water upon you, and ye shall be clean. Almighty and everlasting God, who dost continually enrich thy church with a new offspring, increase the faith and understanding of our catechumens, that they, being born again in the water of baptism, may be numbered among the sons of thine adoption, through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Oh, we actually have real catechumens now. <laughs> it's great. Okay. So, <clears throat> I was just telling, I was just telling Kent, um, we're kind of running out of B to B videos to, in, in terms of what things we need to talk about. Um, so I'm, I think next week I may show a video, but but uh, after that, I, I'm, we're gonna, may have a few classes where we don't have videos because there's things that we need to cover in catechism, but they're not covered in B to B. Father had asked me to base this series on the B to B videos, and I think it's we've done a pretty good job of it um, so far. But at, toward, as we get kind of toward the, the end of things, um, there's things that I think need to be covered in a catechism, and he just doesn't have a video for it. So, But today we're going to kind of um, take a, a, a slight detour uh, based on um, everything that's going on this weekend. I mean, um, <clears throat> you know, with Sammy being, uh, passing and everything else, um, and this is Lent, too, and so this is a good time to look at this. So today we're going to cover, um, you know, at the end of, of liturgy every Sunday, uh, we, we say, um, May the souls of all the faithful departed rest in peace, and may light perpetual shine upon them. That's kind of a Western formulary that we use to uh, describe what we hope is, is, is happening to the souls of the ones who have passed on that we love, that they are in a place uh, of light perpetual. Um, in the Eastern tradition, uh, the, the traditional thing to say for someone who has passed is, may their memory be eternal. May their memory be eternal. And some, I think a lot of times we say that, but we don't really know what it means. So Steve's going to cover that today. And then we'll talk about some of the things Steve talks about. This is Steve, and God doesn't forget us. When someone passes away, in the Orthodox tradition, we pray that that person's memory will be eternal. I've been praying this a lot recently because last week, my grandmother passed away. It's really hard to see somebody who brought the world nothing but joy be overcome by pain. To see somebody who helped so many people be overcome by helplessness and illness. It's difficult to watch someone in the process of dying. And then it's difficult in a different way once they're gone. All that's left is a void. This absence is one of the most jarring things about death. At a funeral, we see a person's body, but feel the absence of their soul. And then after the funeral and burial, we feel the absence of that person even more. I feel it every time I see my grandmother's favorite chair without her in it. Every time I want to stop by her house to say hi and then realize she isn't there anymore. We have our memories, I guess, but they eventually fade over time. And no matter how good our memories might be, they won't last forever. They'll eventually die with us. Standing at the foot of my grandmother's grave, seeing her casket slowly descend into the ground, I felt sad and angry and alone. Death is a lonely thing that pulls people from our lives and causes them to sink into the ultimate solitude, the loneliness of nothingness. It's the opposite of communion. 
but the authentic and meaningful connection that brings us together, something that's only possible in true love, in Christ. In fact, this true communion is the church's response to death, and the reason we ask Christ to remember us in his kingdom. So it's a good thing that the love of Christ is far more powerful than death could ever be. You see, looking at my grandmother's grave was terribly lonely, but when I looked up, I realized that I was surrounded by friends and family, people who miss my grandmother as much as I do, people who were crying as hard as I was. And then I remembered how Christ once stood in the tomb of his friend Lazarus and wept. That passage, where Christ stands before the tomb of Lazarus, is one of the most interesting in the whole Bible. Christ was there to raise Lazarus from the dead. Christ knew that he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead, that death was powerless before him, yet he still wept. Death is such a senseless and absurd and isolating thing, something so contrary to the joy and communion of the kingdom that Christ himself, God himself, cried, which is comforting and awesome because no matter how much we are hurting, Christ is with us. No matter how alone we may feel, Christ is with us. He did not forget Lazarus, and he does not forget us. He stands with us outside the tomb and cries with us, mourning death for the absurdity that it is. But he also stands with us inside the tomb because he died with us. He died with us so we could rise with him. This is where the truth of the gospel is really revealed, in the empty tomb of Christ. If Christ was simply a good man or a wise teacher, he'd still be in the tomb. But he's not. Because he's our savior. Christ is both human and divine. The Lord, the son of God himself. And since God is the source of life, death has no power over him. This is so important because our faith rests on the truth of the resurrection. As St. Paul says, if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty. And your faith is also empty. But we believe in a God that did not simply create us and then forget about us. We believe in the one true God who made us because he loves us, who watches over us because he loves us, who does not forget us even in the midst of our most intense pain and suffering, who does not forget us even in death. Yet this isn't just memory like our memory, thoughts in our heads. When the thief on the cross asked Christ to remember him in his kingdom, he wasn't simply asking Christ to think about him. He was asking Christ to reach down into the pain and hurt and suffering, to join him and then pull him out of it. He was asking to be with Christ in his kingdom. This prayer, this request that God remember us in his kingdom, that our memories be eternal, expresses something so beautiful about our relationship with God. Yes, it's an expression of our pain and our loneliness, of the suffering and shock that death brings us, but it's also an expression of hope that God will not forget us, just like he didn't forget Lazarus or the thief on the cross. Hope that the loved ones we bury will literally rise again. That my grandmother's grave and every grave will one day be empty. It's an expression of our humility, of the realization that there is no life apart from God. Because while we can think about the dead, we can't raise them. And it's an expression of God's invitation to work with him. As we ask him to remember those we're already remembering in prayer. So I know we usually don't do this, but... This week, we have some homework for you. Take some time and think about all the people in your life. Family, friends, even enemies. Then take those names and put them in two columns. One for those who are still in this life, and one for those who have fallen asleep. Keep that list, update it, and use it in your prayer. 
Ask God to have mercy on the living and to remember in his kingdom those who have fallen asleep. Ask others to pray for them as well. You can even leave their names in the comments of this video so your fellow believers can pray for them. Just like I hope you'll remember my grandmother, Polixeni, in your prayers. Then give a copy of that list to your priest so he can offer those names every time he celebrates the divine liturgy. So all those people can be remembered in God's kingdom, which we enter into and experience every liturgy. Because remember, when we pray for eternal memory, we aren't simply asking God to think about us. We're asking God to save us. To not abandon us to the loneliness and oblivion of death, but instead to bring us into the joy and communion and life of his kingdom. So let's be the bee and pray that everyone's memory will be eternal. Be the bee and live orthodoxy. Remember to like and subscribe and share. I'll see you all next week. something you might do I mean I was here the first class yes there's a lot of people in here that have wasn't here the first class and they don't have a clue what B the B is oh okay so B the B is uh, this video series on YouTube it's created by uh, Y2AM which is the youth and young adult ministries department of the Greek Orthodox Archdiocese of America and uh, they have now there's the B the B series they've done a couple other follow-on series um, there's 133 videos in the B2B series about various topics. It was, it's, it was designed for youth and young adults as um, kind of a teaching series. Um, and then there's a subset of 23, I believe, of those videos that are uh, kind of a sub-series called What is Orthodox Christianity? That's the ones I've been pulling mostly from. This was not from that series, that one, but it's from the, out, the, the larger series. Uh, so they're all on YouTube. All you have to do is search for Be the Bee um, if you want to watch any of those. And they're all really good videos. Um, the, um, a friend of mine just uh, was ordained after 30 years as a college professor. And he is now head of the, the Christian Education Department, I believe, for the Greek Archdiocese. They have some wonderful things they put out. Um, and the, these videos are, are, are an example of that. So... Um, yeah, the first the first class we did didn't get recorded. So, if you go on um, SoundCloud, uh, all the all the rest of these classes are on SoundCloud. Um, most all of our sermons, fathers and mine and deacons are all on SoundCloud. You can access them through the church website. Uh, but if you want to get the B two B videos and just watch those, those are straight from YouTube. So. Um, he talked about making a list of of. of people to pray for. Um, that's called the diptychs. Um, this week I put a request out to Father Seraphim Holland uh, that he keep um, some Deacon Sam and his family in his prayers. Um, Father Seraphim lost his son earlier this year. Um, his son was a senior at OU. Uh, he was uh, studying foreign affairs and he um, was in Berlin on a on a kind of a study trip, and they made the they made the bad decision to swim the river in the middle of Berlin in the middle of the night. And his friend made it, but he didn't. And so um, Father Seraphim uh, tore him up immensely. Um, so if you'll keep Daniel Holland was his name in your prayers, 
Um, but this is a common practice. And what the in, in the Eastern Rite, there's the Rite of the Proskomedi. And it happens before Matins. It happens before everything else, before usually anybody else gets to the church. And it's where, um, you know, in the, in the Eastern Rite, they don't use the wafers for communion. They use the lamb. And it's, it's, you know, the bread that we use for holy bread that we pass out at the end of liturgy, the, the loaves that they use, um, that's what they use for communion. They take and they cut uh, a cube out of the middle, and that's called the lamb. And then various pieces are taken, and prayers are said over that as it's prepared, and it's all laid out on the paten. Um, that's the rite of proskomedi. And during the rite of proskomedi, which basically is preparation, um, the priest prays for... Uh, most priests I know have a little book they keep, just a little notebook. Because over the years, it gets thicker and thicker and thicker, and it's all the people they've been asked to pray for. But they all, you know, some of the things they always pray for, for example, are the hierarch who ordained them. They remember him by name. Um, usually both, you know, maybe it's two hierarchs because one for deacon, one for priest. <coughs> um, there's a whole list of things that they pray for. But almost every priest has their own personal diptychs. And so when I sent Father Seraphim this request, he said, I, you know, yes, I will definitely pray for him if you will please add Daniel to your list of prayers. Um, and pray for him always. And I said, yeah, I'll do that. So when he says, take a list to your priest, um, what he's saying is, take that list so that he can add it to the list of people for whom he prays um, during that rite of proskomedi. Um, you'll also hear during the great entrance, when they, when they come out, um, uh, the priest will pray for um, the living and the dead, basically like we do the prayers of the people. But they do it while in, they're in procession. They pray for those who are sick and everything else. And then they pray for those who have passed on. Um, the difference, there's, and there's a difference between those two lists of prayers. Generally that one list of prayers during the great entrance is for people from that parish. And generally it's only for Orthodox. But the prayers that he does before liturgy, before even matins, when he's doing the proskomedi, that can be for anybody. Orthodox, non-Orthodox, whatever. So, um, you know, we do something similar, but we do it as the prayers of the people. We pray for the sick. We pray for those who need guidance. We pray for those who are traveling. We pray for all kinds of people, right? Um, I've joked with with Annie that it's kind of harder to get off that list than it is <laughs> than, it, than it is to get off the sex offender registry. But you know. <laughs> Because we just keep adding and adding and adding and adding. But, you know, and, and so, um, you know, we were praying a long time for the Cox family. I said, well, that's, you know, there's only two of us. My sister really doesn't care. And, you know, I, you know, so she finally pulled basically our name off. But, um, you know, and that, that is the thing that um, if someone, if you hear us praying for someone and you know they really don't need our prayers anymore, just let her know and we can pull them off. And it doesn't mean that we care any less for them. It's just... We, you know, maybe we don't need to remember them publicly, and it makes room for somebody else. So, um, but that's what the diptychs are, and that's when when he says prepare a list for your priest. Um, that's what it would be used for. Is is during that rite of proskomedi when he's preparing the bread, um, he prays for a whole long list of people, both living what is the Western and the dead. Equivalent of the proskomedi. Oh, uh, the offertory when he's up there preparing the chalice, okay. we do it right then. But it's not as, uh, ours is not as involved because, you know, all we have to do is get some 
host out and prepare the chalice. Right. But um, whereas with the with the Eastern rite, there's a whole ritual of cutting crumbs out of the bread. Uh, you know, nine for the angels and twelve. You know, and, and this, that, and the other. So um, it takes a lot longer in the Eastern rite. So the other thing that's different is. Um, you'll see that at, immediately after communion in the Western Rite, we go ahead and consume. You know, you'll see deacon and father up there consuming everything. Um, in the Eastern Rite, that doesn't happen until after liturgy. So, you know, there's these, these few differences here and there, but it's not a matter of what we're doing. It's usually a matter of how and when. Mm -hmm. well, usually we're doing the same thing. Um, anytime we pray a collect, for example, in the Eastern Rite, that would be an actenia or a litany. You know, in peace, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. You'll hear us remembering those same things. Um, a lot of the things, for example, in the Great Litany, we do during the prayers of the people. You know, for the President of the United States, all civil authorities and armed forces everywhere um, is one of the prayers. Um, I was in Montreal. And they sent me out. In the, in the Eastern Rite, the subdeacon can do some of the uh, duties of the deacon if there's no deacon there. So one of those is the Great Acteni at the beginning of liturgy. So they sent me out, as I'm visiting, and they're waiting to see if I'm going to mess up. <laughs> what, what did they do to you? Well, what, what, here's the game they were playing. Here's the game we're playing. All, you know, we always pray for the President of the United States, all civil authorities and armed forces everywhere, let us pray to the Lord. We were in Montreal. <laughs> but fortunately, I realized this. And so I went out and I said... For Her Majesty the Queen, the Prime Minister of Canada, all civil authorities, and our armed forces everywhere. And they're like, oh. <laughs> so, there was, there's an interesting story about um, St. Innocent of Japan. One of the saints is a saint, and he was a Russian, you know, because the church in Japan was founded by the Russians. And, of course, they had the Russo-Japanese War at the beginning of the 20th, 20th century. So the Japanese troops went to the Russian church, and they were going to arrest the, the priest and, you know, for being unpatriotic, you know, for being a, a, a... But when they went in, he came out and he prayed the Actenia. They were expecting him to pray for the Tsar of Russia. But he didn't. He prayed for... He, he as a Russian, prayed for the Emperor of Japan all civil authorities and our armed forces everywhere, that he may grant them victory over every enemy and adversary. And they were kind of shocked. And they said, we thought you would pray for the Tsar. He says, I'm a Christian first, then a Russian. And as a Christian, we pray for where we are. Interesting. And so they didn't arrest him. So, um, so I want to... Start out, you know, as he says, this is one of the most interesting scriptures, pieces of scripture, and it is a little long, but I'm going to go ahead and read it, about Lazarus, because it's an amazing story. <coughs> and this is Luke, uh, well, it is long. Um, this is Luke, or sorry, yeah, I, th uh, I think it's Luke. No, this says John 11, 144, uh, 1 through 44, I think it's Luke. Um, I may have typed it in wrong. But anyway, so here it is. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her, her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed her, her, the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. 
So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. Now what does that tell you right there? He knows the whole family. He's familiar with all of them. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness is not unto death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified by means of it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, so that when he heard he was ill, here's one of the strange parts, when he heard that he was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place that he was. Probably you hear somebody else, oh, I'm going to come rush and help. No, he stayed where he was for two days. Then after this, he said to the apostles, let us go into Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were but now seeking to stone you. And are you going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble, because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles, because the light is not in him. Thus he spoke, and he said to them, <coughs> Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awake him out of sleep. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he'll recover. Now Jesus has spoken of his death but thought that he meant taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Thomas called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go, that we may die with him. I'm going to have, I caught that passage last night, I'm going to, I don't get that one. Well, because they think Jesus is going to be stoned, so they're going. Well, I guess him, so. so they, That's oh, true. That's true. They were there you go. I thought they were speaking of Lazarus. Yeah. yeah. That makes sense. That does make sense. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. <coughs> Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him while Mary sat in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are Christ, the Son of the Living, the Son of God, he who is coming into the world. <coughs> Excuse me. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying quietly, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come to the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews were, who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Then Mary, when she came where Jesus was and saw him, fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. <laughs> when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled, and he said, Where have you laid him? Then said to him, they said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay upon it. Jesus said, take away the stone. 
Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me. I knew that I know that thou hearest me always, but I have said this on account of the people standing by, that they may believe that thou didst send me. When he had said this, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet bound with bandages, and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. That'd be terrifying. Have a mommy coming out of it, covered, you know, wrapped, yeah. coming out. Yeah. You know, and it, it's, it's very unsettling to see someone who's passed on. Um, I remember it was Lazarus Saturday when my mom passed away. Um, in the in the Eastern Rite, the day before Palm Sunday is Lazarus Saturday, and they re- read this gospel, and that's what they remember is the resurrection of Lazarus. Um, so it was Lazarus Saturday, and they called me that morning and said, "Your mother's passed." Um, so I went down to the hospice down on Eighth Avenue. There, in, it's in the old building of Baylor All Saints. And she was lying there in bed. And it's very unsettling. Because they're not breathing. There's no movement at all, whatsoever. You're used to seeing this person, even when they're asleep. You know, in her last few weeks, I would go in and I would check when she was sleeping in bed. Because I wouldn't hear anything. And finally, I would see her breathe. And I'm like, okay, so she's alright. But here she was laying and, you know... And I touched her hand, and it was cold, which is also, you know, very unsettling. Um, and they look different. And they look different. Because they're, they're paler. You know, the blood is not flowing. Well, that's because their soul is gone. Well, that too. That too. Sammy was real cold. Yeah. And so, um, here's someone that you've, you've you know lived with for so many years and they're not alive anymore and they're just there and and there's a sense of helplessness too because you can't do anything more for them you know um you've done everything you can do now in some cases there's also a sense of relief that especially if they suffered they're not suffering anymore um there's a sense of and sadly to be honest there's a sense of relief of, you can't do anything more for him. Your job is done. You know? Um, so, but it strikes me, you know, three times in this lesson, they, they, they talk about, well, Jesus, if you'd been here, you wouldn't have died. Martha says it. Mary says it. The people say it. Well, surely, I mean, this guy who heals the blind, if he'd been here, he wouldn't be dead. But that was the whole point of him staying two extra days, to make sure he wasn't there, so that they would know he was dead. And so this was not just merely a healing from near death. This was resurrection. So Lazarus, is he going to be resurrected twice? Yeah. Because he was brought back to life. Right. And so it's not really like the resurrection, because remember when we are 
in the general resurrection, how will we come back? Looking just like we are now? No, a changed body. We'll look like whom? Jesus' resurrection. Well, uh, specifically like at the transfiguration. Jesus came back in his full glory. You know, he was there in his full glory, and, we, and they saw it briefly. We will come back not just resurrected, but glorified. Now, here's an interesting thing to remember, too. When Jesus came back, was, like, was he perfect? No. No. What did he still have? Scars. scars. Not just scars. He had the wounds. And it's one of the things people talk about is that, that you know, as the martyrs come, you know, when, in the general resurrection, those who were martyred will bear the marks of their martyrdom. Not as scars or as, or as something hideous, but as trophies. Because that was, that's the sign of what they went through. That's the sign of, of their, their glory. You know, we glorify the martyrs because of what they went through. And so, um, there's even, you know, there's a, a, a type of, of martyr known as a cephalophore. Anyone know what kephala means? Like cephala? It means your head. There's a type of martyr that people have had visions of after their martyrdom, if they've been beheaded, then they see them carrying their own head, walking around carrying their own head. And in many cases, where they disappear, a spring will come up, and it'll be a holy spring of water where there had been none before. So there are miracles associated with these post-death post sightings of the martyrs. Um, which is really interesting to me. Um, Back to praying for the dead, because yes. that was one of my issues moving into Orthodoxy. Sure. Because Protestants, it's just this, like this total dark veil between humanity and living on earth for, and eternity. And, and it's like, we don't know... That veil is completely... I, that's how I felt as a Protestant. For now we see in a mirror darkly, but, but then we will see face to face. But, yeah, but, there is a veil. Yeah, but, but in Orthodoxy we're recognizing much more the life after death. And, you know, and in other words... We are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Right. But in Protestant, it's just like when they're gone, they're gone. And we can't... Pray, okay, pray so what was that a reaction right? to? It's like they're there, they're not. What was, what, and then we say they're in heaven and what, everything. What was that a reaction? Okay, and wh why is that? Keep in mind they're Protestants. They're protesting. What were they protesting? Papacy. The papacy. Hmm? The papacy. And what was one of the practices of the papacy? Saint. Saint. Oh, indulgences. Indulgences. Yeah. And purgatory. Oh. And purgatory. Yeah. That's what this... This keep in mind, almost everything in Protestantism is an anti-Catholic right. reaction. And then you have the, uh, that was the Reformation. And then you have the Counter-Reformation, which is the Roman Catholic anti-Protestant reaction. Okay? And fortunately in Orthodoxy, we avoided all that. For the most part. You know, we kind of stood on sidelines and went, ooh, that's bad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right? Well, I find it very refreshing. And it, it, to me, it's much more of a complete understanding of Christendom. Yeah, because what's missing in what's missing in um, the Protestant understanding that we communion of saints. Communion. That we communion. Yeah, ways. communion. 
that we we can we continue communion. Right. Communion is not just for the living. We are still in communion with those who have gone before. You know, they they uh, there's um, and I forget where it is. They talk about um, well, Abraham and Isaac are dead. He says no. He says I'm the God of Abraham and Isaac. That means they're alive. You can't be the God of somebody if they're dead, because then no, they're no longer their God. So the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are alive. Right? And one yeah. of the times that we experience them the most, those that we loved, yeah. are during the Mass. Oh, absolutely. You know, that's one reason I enjoy the silence at, at communion. Especially now, you know, during Lent, we're really doing that more. Um, it it is you know once we've received we have ne- we, we we go up and we receive communion we have now physically communed with our Lord and for and there is no better time to offer up prayers to God than when you have just physically received God inside you right God is with us literally physically in the body and blood um, and so. I kind of hope that at some point maybe we get away from the singing eight hymns after you know communion, um, because that, for me that's a time of prayer, that's a time of 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 of, of communing and remembering people. Um, yeah, we remember people during the prayers of the people and everything else, but then there's people that you know, like I remember, and we all should remember, you know, our own in our own prayers. Um, so I guess Father will hear that on the recording. So anyway, <laughs> so, um, but uh, but yeah, that is, and, and in fact, in the Eastern Rite, that that's a time when um, uh, it's really it, it comes into focus that you go back and and go back to your pew and and you it's you know there's hymns being sung maybe by the choir um, about communion and being in communion. Choose the same hymns every Sunday, um, but uh, yeah, that's a perfect time to offer up prayers. Is right then after, you, just after you've received communion, go back and remember those who you know are sick, suffering. You know those who have passed on. Um, so why do we pray for the dead? Because they can't pray for themselves. Okay. Um, are are we praying? Do we believe in purgatory? No. 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 Um, part of part of the, the the misunderstanding and and is is that you know here we are within time, right? This is time. This is you know, and we're stuck in here. We experience everything serially, one second to the next, right? But yet, eternity is out here. It's outside of time, right? God created the universe before, and and when he created the universe, time came into existence. But before that, if you can say before without time, outside of that, outside of that, there was no time. And so when we say eternity, you know, there's a difference between eternity and and um, sympaternity, or sympaternity. Uh, yeah. Right? 
eternity, E means outside. Right? That's outside of time. Timelessness. Semp eternity, sempi means always. semper. All, you know, that's that's the Gloria Patria et Filio Spiritus Sancti Sicut Erat in Principio in the beginning, et semper and always et in secula seculorum and unto the ages of ages. Right? That's the Gloria. Semper means all always. Right? So this is outside of time. This means all of time. Now we get un, we get confused sometimes because we'll use the term everlasting when we really mean eternal. But everlasting really means, is kind of like this, isn't it? It means all of time. But, but don't confuse these two. It's easy to because we have no experience really of this. It's hard, to, hard, hard for us to imagine this. Right? This one we can understand. This is kind of like, okay, once we die, for the, forever, for always in time, we're going to be up on a cloud playing a harp. <laughs> that's kind of our easy view of things right but one of the reasons we can't explain what happens after death is because there is this transition from time to timelessness right because hmm? go ahead back to why are, why are we praying for the dead so why are we praying for the dead why is that a good practice you're acknowledging that they're still alive. One, you're acknowledging they're still alive, and that everybody who's alive needs prayer. And two, it's good for us. Well, we pray for their, well... We pray for their soul. Yeah, and the, like in the little red books, you pray uh-huh. for their, the guidance of their soul and the continued, continuing growth of their soul. Yeah. Now... The Protestants get so hooked up on the salvation thing, like that we're praying for their salvation after yeah. they're dead. Which that's because because that's a reaction to <laughs> that's a reaction to the doctrine of purgatory. Right. <laughs> that somehow we can we can you know, and it got even worse with indulgences. That if you paid enough, you could get somebody into heaven. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and that comes out of the. Do that? <laughs> there was a woman who came to an Orthodox priest, and she said, "I I'd like to have a, an Orthodox funeral for my dog." And he's like, "Well, ma'am, um, uh, you know, normally we we uh, we don't have funerals for animals, you know." She said, oh, that's too bad. I was going to make a $50,000 donation to um, the, the, uh, the church. And he said, oh, now what, will it be in a casket? Or, you know? <laughs> yeah. No. So, um, this, the second piece of, of scripture that he mentioned was uh, 1 Corinthians fifteen fourteen. If Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. Um, what do the Jews say about Jesus? Good teacher. He was a good teacher. What do the Muslims say about Jesus? He was a prophet. He was a prophet. Do either of them believe in the resurrection of Christ? No. No. Do Muslims? Yes, but not quite the way we do. Right. They believe Jesus and Satan were brothers. And that it all has to do with planets. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, 
Um, but if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. And so that's why, you know, the, the, the Muslims will say, oh, it wasn't really Christ on the cross, it was an illusion, and they'll do anything they can to deny the resurrection. Why? Because <coughs> if the resurrection is true, then everything they say is wrong. Right? But that is why the, re I mean, the resurrection is central to our faith, period. Um, without the resurrection, there's no reason for any of us to be here. You know, because without the resurrection, what hope do we have after death? And if there's no hope after death, then why are we bothering? You know? um, and then finally, the, the last piece of scripture he mentioned was, uh, oh, this one's Luke. Okay, Luke uh, 23, 39 to 43. The first one was John 11. Um, one of the criminals who was hanged, who were hanged, railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Have you, have you all ever been to Congregation Ava Shalom? And over here on Hewlin? Yeah. Um, uh -huh. We went one time, and on one of the walls, they have a, 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 it's a panel with names, mm -hmm. and there's light bulbs next to each one of them. Mm -hmm. And they'll light the light bulbs up depending on what month it is, I think, or whatever. And that's their way of there was this Jewish concept that uh, that the way people lived after death was that we remembered them, and so that's this they they're trying to do this memory, but really it's a memory sempaternal, right? That's a memory here. That's a memory here, right? And that but that somehow is because keep in mind there were Jews that did not believe in the resurrection, you know, and so. Those who did, you know, there were different doctrines and things of that nature about it. But, so Jesus, when he's talking about the resurrection, that's nothing new to the Jews, but, but for him to say, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the Son of God. You know, I honor my Father. That was blasphemous to them. Of course they wanted to stone him. Right? But yet, you have the thief here saying, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. What had, what had Jesus told Pontius Pilate about his kingdom? It's not of this it's earth. It's not of this earth. It's not of this earth. But, but Jesus, but, but yet now you have the, the thief saying, remember me, O Lord, when you come into your kingdom. And what is he really saying? Save I want eternal life. Save me, take me with you. Bring me into your kingdom. Yeah. Yeah, bring me, bring me into your kingdom. And he didn't have to be baptized. Mm -hmm. There was, there was, there, you know. I thought about that, but there, there, and and that was a quandary for some of the church, the early church. Um, and actually, you had people who were martyred who had never been baptized. You all know the story of Saint Alban, who was who's proto martyr of of Britain. Alban was not a Christian. He was a Roman soldier. But a priest came 
and um, asked to hide in his house because they were coming to kill him. The Romans were coming to kill him. But he knew Alban was a good guy, and, and so he said, can you, can you hide me? And so when they came to Alban's house, he said, no, I'm, I'm, I'm the one you want. Take me. And he was martyred in the priest's place. Well, he was, you know, he wasn't baptized. So there's, there, there have been, you know, they, there are, they talk about the exception for martyrs, and they, ha- they were baptized. That's where their heart is. But it's a baptism of blood. It's a baptism of mm. blood. It's kind of like the French Foreign Legion. Um, in the French Foreign Legion, which fascinates me, uh, you know, you can go, you go in for a contract of, I think, five years for the French Foreign Legion. And at the end of five years, you can be, uh, then you can apply for uh, citizenship in the EU, you know, for France, um, because of your service. The U.S. Army has a basically the same kind of, has a similar kind of plan, where you don't have to be a U.S. citizen to serve in the U.S. Army, and once you do, then you can apply for citizenship based on that service. Okay? But if you're injured as a member of the French Foreign Legion, then you can apply early. And they, they call it being um, becoming a citizen uh, pour sans verser. It means by spilled blood. And so there's the, there is this talk of the martyrs, who some of whom were not baptized. Um, but but you, you had these people who would say, no, take me, I'm, I'm the person that you're looking for. Because they would be so moved by the Christian's faith or whatever. And um, so we talk about baptism by, by, you know, literally sometimes baptism by fire. Mm-hmm. They would take, be taken and burned. Um, but baptism of blood was a, was a common term that was said, look, because people said, how can they be, how can they go to heaven if they were never baptized? Yeah, they were baptized in their own that blood. Makes that makes sense. In their own blood. So, um, yeah, remember me, O Lord, in, in thy kingdom. That's what, when we say, may his memory be eternal, that's what we mean. We hope that the Lord, you know, there's the, the prayer, may the Lord God remember you all. And in fact, at the great entrance, um, at the end of the great entrance, the priest turns to the congregation and says, may the Lord God remember you all in his heavenly kingdom, always, now, and ever, and unto ages of ages. And that's what we hope for. Um, we were just talking after liturgy today. There's a beautiful... And what, where are we hoping we'll end up? In the, in the Eastern funeral service, it's uh, a place of brightness, a place of repose, a place of verdure, whence all sickness, sighing, and sorrow have fled away. The kingdom of God. Um, C.S. Lewis, if you've ever read any of his stuff, he, um, there's a couple of books where he really, you know, uh, hits on that really hard. Um, The Great Divorce is all about, it's supposed to be a vision he had of what life after death is like. And he, he, he says, this is not, I'm not trying to teach you that this is what the church teaches. This is just a story, so, you know. But there's, there's a lot of stuff in there um, about... Um, you know, there's some really good concepts in there about how to think about heaven and hell, um, and the role Christ had. You know, you think about well, why don't people in heaven go and get the people from hell, and bring them back? You know, and, and try to save them. And and he explains that that that, that you know, um, only Christ could could descend into hell, 
and open the gates of Hades and bring everybody out. Um, one of the things he talks about is people who, um, he describes their sins as being as like something they're chained to. Almost like Ebenezer Scrooge. Remember, mm-hmm. oh, the chains that they're forging for you are massive and immense and nothing like mine. Mine are easy to carry compared to the ones they're making for you. <laughs> and, um, but yeah. Um, and then the other book that, that really he gets kind of into a vision of heaven is um, it's the last of the, the Chronicles of Narnia, the last battle. And he talks about there's the doorway between earth and heaven. And in this book, it's a barn, right? Um, a barn door. And when you, you know, those who believe go in and they see it's like earth, but it's, it's more real. He talks about everything being more real in heaven. Uh, as if earth was just a shadow of things. But then you get these people who refuse to see heaven. They're dwarves, actually. And they're still sitting in the dung and the straw of this barn, and they can't see heaven. And if you try to show them a piece of heaven, they think you're shoving dung in their face or something like that because they they refuse to see it. You know, and and it's easy to do, isn't it? It's so easy to get caught up in the bad things of this world that it's 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 easy to refuse to see any good. It's all it's very easy to refuse to see any good in the world. Um. <coughs> And you think just everything's done. And there are people like that, aren't there? They're usually reporters. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, don't mean that. That seems to be all we hear out of the news media anymore. You know, it's just one thing after another, after another, after another, and just everything bad in the world. And it used to be everything just bad in your town. I was looking at a front page of a newspaper a couple days ago, and... Uh, it was from 1949, and it was all just Fort Worth news, right? And maybe something about one one story overseas. But now we have access to every bad thing that goes on all over the planet, don't we? So, anyway, so tonight we'll do Vespers for the Departed at 6.30. Um, it's a short service. Um, I know uh, I've had people this week asking me, in the last couple of days, saying, oh, if we, should we come Sunday or should we come Monday? And I said, you know, and these were people at work. And I said, well, Monday's going to be packed. So, you know, if you can come Sunday, that'd be great. And just come by. Um, but, uh, you know, for those of us who are Orthodox, we do. Um, in fact, one of the things we'll talk about next week is, um, you know, the sacraments, not in the Eastern Rite, not so much anymore, but in, in the West, our sacraments are almost always in the context of the liturgy. And so now the funeral service is not a sacrament, but we do the Mass. We do a Requiem Mass. Um, requiem meaning, I don't know what Requiem means. It, well, it comes from the word like Requiescat in Pachem, R-I-P. You know, rest in peace. It means rest. It means uh, the mass for someone who is asleep. In fact, that's the orth- one of the orthodox things we say. We don't say they passed away or that we don't say they died. We say they have fallen asleep in the Lord. 
And if you say, oh, well, if they fall asleep, they'll recover. Well, yes, they will. It's called the resurrection. <laughs> so. Exactly. So, all right, well, I've gone on way too long today, so I appreciate it.